Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Good morning. It is Monday, November 9th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined by Chris Hummer, as I am every Monday to recap the previous weekend of college football news. Usually we record on Sunday morning. Chris, we're actually recording Monday morning, so we got up a little early to do this one. Um, We'll see if we can search back in the cobwebs to, to remember what exactly happened on Saturday. It shouldn't be too hard. It was a rather historic weekend. And then tomorrow, uh, you and I will be podcasting about uh, the, the playoff race and who you have in your top four and, and all that stuff. But today, we're going to talk about the on-field results from week 10. we got to start with number four, Notre Dame, beating number one, Clemson. Or at least that's how they were ranked on Saturday when they squared off 47-40 to 40 in double overtime. We thought Bama-Georgia would be the game of the year, but, I mean... This was this was it. Notre Dame jumps out to a lead. Clemson scraps back. Notre Dame comes back. They go down the field um, with one and a half minutes left with, with 90 yards. Ian Book played the game of his life. 310 yards passing, a touchdown. It's it was just it was a as a classic game. And um, I I think I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, this is probably the happiest you've been in a really really long time. No doubt. And I mean, this was a classic game in that like even Dave Chappelle, who was hosting SNL, had to wait for this game to finish. It went a long time and it was it was well worth the wait. It was the best college football game I've seen this year. And I was at a wild Texas, Oklahoma game a couple of weeks ago. But that game did not have nearly the same stakes as this one. And if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think you're right. Like this is probably the happiest you've been since maybe. 2000 when they made that run and i believe in 2011 uh to reach the national championship game i'm removing the alabama uh bludgeoning from that equation but that team with manti teo uh girlfriend and all um great player i don't i don't mean to take a shot but that season was the peak of notre dame football of this century and i'm not sure if notre dame is there yet like this notre dame team still has a while to go to reach the college football playoff again but this is as good as we've seen notre dame in a very very long time and this is their first top five win under Brian Kelly, and it's a bit of a statement. Do you think when these two teams play again, it's going to be a similar type of game? So the ACC uh, likely will see a rematch of Clemson and Notre Dame. Notre Dame could even afford to lose and still make it in over Miami, given the the ACC tiebreaker. So we could see Notre Dame versus Clemson again. The, the Irish slate, kind of difficult, like we were talking about this uh, on Slack on Sunday, like a, a mix of trap games and and good teams. They they play North Carolina. They also play Boston College and Wake Forest. Like 
they play Boston College this this upcoming weekend, which could be a, a hangover game. But if if it's Notre Dame and Clemson again, if Clemson gets healthy, and that's a big if here. There's by the end of the game for the Tigers, they were playing true freshmen who had not played all season uh, in double overtime because they were just so banged up. We had talked about those defensive injuries headed into the game. It got worse as as the as the 60 minutes plus were on. They lost like four more guys. So they ended up playing by the, like at the the last snap on the defensive series for them, I think like seven of the 11 or eight of the 11 were not on the initial week one starting lineup report. So if if they get some of those guys back and they get Trevor Lawrence back uh, as they, as they will, how do you see that playing out again? Well, I think it's, first of all, it's important to note that Clemson's about to hit a bye week. So some of those guys will have a bit more time to get back uh, ahead of a schedule that's kind of sneaky difficult. They have to go to Florida State, not not the game it usually is. But then they play Pittsburgh, which is probably the best defense in the ACC, maybe outside of Clemson. They have to go to Virginia Tech, which I realize just lost to Liberty, but it's still an excellent team. So like Clemson still got some work to do to qualify for the ACC championship game. I still think it will. And if a healthy Clemson goes against Notre Dame with Trevor Lawrence on, at quarterback, I expect Clemson to win that rematch. I just do. Um, Notre Dame played out of its mind in a lot of ways on Saturday. The offensive line was excellent, which it had to be. The run game was fantastic, which it had to be. Kyron Williams was a monster, kind of as a pass blocker and pass protection. Um, but I think Notre Dame played out of its mind in the way that its receivers kind of opened up the field. Notre Dame's lack of explosiveness all year had been a problem. We've talked about that before, but on Saturday night, their receivers made play time after plays, time after time after time. And I'm not really sure how sustainable that is, nor am I sure how sustainable Ian Book's play was. And Ian Book probably played the best game of his career. Maybe I'm underestimating a team that had a breakthrough moment, but if you're going to put these teams on a neutral field uh, once again in a couple weeks, I'm going to go with the team that, had most of its defensive starting lineup out, was missing the best player in America, and still lost in overtime in that head-to-head rematch. Yeah, just for the record, DJ Uyangalale was was still great. Um, yeah, he was, for, he was not the reason they lost. No, let's, let's, he's, he was great. Threw for uh, 439 yards, that's just insane amount of yards. All right, Florida 44, Georgia 28. This, to me, was all about Florida. People are going to talk about the Georgia quarterback. I get it. But for Florida these guys look like they could absolutely, I'm not going to say beat though. I think it's possible, but they, they will go toe to toe with Alabama and Atlanta when they play in the sec championship, Kyle Trask, four touchdowns, nearly 500 yards. Kyle Pitts was unstoppable before he went out with a concussion. Dan Mullen dialed up wheel route after wheel route to his running backs. And it was just a really, really pretty game for the Gators. Yeah, no doubt. And like, I think what's striking about Florida is the kind of bevy of weapons they had entering the season. A big question we had about Florida was how are they going to replace four NFL receivers? They essentially lost their four top receivers off of last year's team, Sands, uh, Kyle Pitts, who was uh, returning as a tight end. But we saw everyone make plays on Saturday. Um, first of all, Kadarius Tony's turned himself into one of the most dangerous weapons in the country, um, kind of a Kind of an all-purpose back. Uh, I saw. I saw back. Thomas. Yeah, Thomas Goldcam described him as a human joystick, <laughs> and it's true. He he does everything for Florida. He's spectacular to watch. He's just hard to tackle. He's fantastic in the open field. He gives Dan Mullen so many ways to kind of draw up an offense. Because when you can line up Kyle Pitts in the slot 
and you can line up Kadarius Tony in the slot, or you can line them up in the backfield and split them out or do whatever you want. Like they're really difficult to cover for like the safeties and the linebackers that have to take those assignments. And then when you throw in guys like Trevon Grimes making plays or Kimor Gamble or Malik Davis, I know he's a running back, but like there was just playmakers all over the field for Florida on Saturday. And in this era, you have to have playmakers in space to be successful. And Florida has those weapons to complement Kyle Trask and the offensive line. And I feel like people don't talk about the offensive lines enough played really well against the Georgia defense. I don't, I think, don't think, oh, they allowed one sack on Saturday. And that Florida offensive line, yeah, had been a problem for years. And they played really, really well on Saturday. So my only concern would be they averaged two, like under three yards a rush. But they did at least, again, we talked about the the running back, Sandlin found a way to incorporate those guys in his game. Malik Davis had 100 yards. And, you know, they, they, obviously Georgia's passing attack stinks. We don't need to, you know, Barry Stetson Bennett here, Dewan Mathis, those guys should not be playing for an SEC football team with championship aspirations. Georgia ran the ball okay per average, but Samir White gets a 75-yard touchdown to start the game, Chris. Gets six more cut touches the rest of the afternoon. So if you're a Georgia fan, like, you, and the season, the, I mean, the season for all intents and, intents and purposes is, is finished because you're not going to make the SEC title game. And you've you've just sort of wasted this historic defense by trying out an offense that has no mojo. Yeah. Well, first of all, on the running, the rushing game point with Florida, I agree. Like the offense does not run the ball all that well, but I would point out that Florida is one of those teams that sets up the run with the pass. And I think Kyle Trask has been good enough all year to kind of allow that to continue to happen. But you're right. As for Georgia, this is kind of a wasted season with all the talent they have most talented team in the country for the 24 seven sports team talent composite. And they're already out of the national title picture uh, by early November uh, during a shortened season. And I think ultimately like Saturday's loss came down to a really banged up defense. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to put it all on Stetson Bennett. He wasn't good, but it, the defense, if it had been playing a little bit better and was a little healthier, I think could have done a better job containing Florida but as, as you said, at the end of the day, this is going to come down to Kirby Smart's ability to fix his quarterback room. Um, we thought he did by bringing in Jamie Newman and JT Daniels at the same time. But I don't think any program maybe outside of Maryland has been more snake bit at quarterback than Georgia. And until Kirby Smart can figure out a way to kind of um, find a signal caller who can unlock all of his skill talent, and there's a ton of it. Uh, Georgia's still going to struggle, and that's on Kirby Smart this offseason. He's got to find a quarterback who can uh, alleviate some of the team's issues. The College Football Daily will be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, let's pick up the pace a little bit. Um, we've, we've, we've hit on the two big games. I want to jump out west. Pac-12. Pac-12 played. Uh, two games didn't play. Arizona and Utah and then Washington and Cal were canceled because of COVID and contact tracing issues. We'll see if those teams are, are back on the on the ground this weekend. I thought the most remarkable score was USC coming back down pretty big to Arizona State, down two scores in the fourth quarter to, to beat the Sun Devils um, thanks to a, a miraculous play by Brew McCoy in the, in the end zone on fourth down. And then he recovered the onside kick. And then and then Keaton Slovis leads him down the field. So so that's the the I think it I think that game might have like Clay Helton would be on the he'd be on the um, Jim Harbaugh hot seat burning discussion that we're about to have. But that saved him. Uh, Arizona State should have won that game, I, and I, I think that mm. might be an eye opener for USC now to kind of say, all right, we got our toughest game, or you know one of the our toughest games out of the way in week one. We dodged a bullet. Like, let, let's get moving. Like, we can do a lot of things better here. Yeah. Um, coming out of this game, you have questions for USC along the offensive line. Uh, Keaton Slovis got beat up all afternoon. Arizona State got pressure whenever it wanted. USC had trouble running the ball. USC had trouble tackling. And I, I realize uh, Texas fans that are out there probably thinking, like I told you so, it's hot Orlando. But um, we'll, we'll see if it gets better. USC was really limited in its practice time due to um, kind of local restrictions in Los Angeles. And this is still the toughest game on their schedule until potentially the Pac-12 title game, uh, based on the way the Pac-12 set things up. So if USC can get things fixed, like their season's far from done, but you're right. Uh, Clay Eldon certainly dodged a bullet and he has to be really thankful for some Brew McCoy luck and the fact that Keaton Slopes is the baller. The Pac-12 absolutely set things up for Oregon and USC to not play each other, but also to give those two teams sort of marquee week one openers to get to get us all talking about them. Oregon 35, Stanford 14. I did not watch one second of this one. Chris, am, or did you? Yeah, I watched a little bit. I watched a little bit. Okay, so Davis Davis Mills didn't play the Stanford quarterback who we were excited to see, former five-star in 2017. He didn't play, so I'm not surprised that Stanford you know, lost and could not even cover the, cover the spread. Tell me your first impressions of Tyler Shuck debuting as Oregon's new guy uh, with the Justin Herbert era over. Yeah, Tyler Shuck. Um, I think the really interesting thing with Oregon on Saturday was Joe Moorhead's scheme kind of coming to the forefront. Um, it was a lot of RPOs. It was a lot of quick passes. Um, but I think most of all, it was a lot of design rushes for Tyler Shuck. I don't think any of us really expected him to finish with 85 yards rushing, but he did. Um, he's not. He's not like... He's not the most athletic quarterback in the world, but he's functional. He's probably better than functional. I think he's probably a 4'8 guy. He looks pretty shifty in the open field. He finished with 85 yards rushing. And um, I really think given how strong C.J. DeVerdell is, it's kind of a lead back, and how good the offensive line looked. I, I want to stress they replaced all five offensive starters. And that unit looked really good against Stanford for the most part. Didn't allow a sack. The run game averaged um, 6.7 yards per carry. So if Tyler Shuck can kind of open up the run game a little bit with some of the option looks that Joe Moorhead's kind of run throughout his career, uh, be it at uh, Penn State or Mississippi State, I think that offense has a chance to be a little more explosive than it has been in the past just because it provides another element. And um, Oregon still has some questions at receiver, but I think this is a really good Oregon team. The defense played pretty well for the most part. 
although Stanford did move the ball, just didn't convert well in the red zone. But it was a strong start for Oregon for sure. Uh, Washington State beat Oregon State in Nick Rolovich's debut as head coach, 38-28. And then UCLA lost Colorado, 48-42. to They they came back. They, they tried to execute one of those patented Chip Kelly comebacks, but it wasn't enough despite Dorian Thompson-Robinson's four touchdowns. They lose to Carl, Carl Dorrell, their, their former coach, who they probably had not given a lick of thought to in, in over <laughs> 10 years. I really don't like the way things are trending for Chip Kelly and UCLA. And I, and I think I've said that since 2018. People keep saying, no, 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 like give them more time, give them more time. But at a certain point, they are what they are. And th- that's a, a very mediocre team at best who's going who's gonna to fall behind in many games and just certainly has not taken over uh, you know, the, 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 the city of L.A. or the, the West Coast or the conference or especially the country in a way we thought Chip Kelly might be able to. Well, and... On top of that, Chip Kelly's just not recruiting well. Uh, last year's class was 33rd nationally. His 2021 class is 50th nationally. Like He is not one on the field, and he's not recruited well enough to justify kind of what he's getting paid in Los Angeles. So bad combination for Chip Kelly, even if along with USC, UCLA had some practice restrictions that I think probably played into the fact they started really slow. They were down 35 to 7 at one point on Saturday night. But Gosh. yeah. Yeah, Chip Kelly's that was a rough, rough start for Chip Kelly during a year where he really needed to prove something. Michigan lost. We're gonna whiplash, Chris. We got like I'm, I'm gonna put our clock at like a few more minutes. And I know everyone's like, you know, what's what about A and M beating South Carolina 48 to three? What about BYU blasting Boise State? I, I'm we're saving that that stuff for the Tuesday show for for the playoff talk. Um, we're gonna kind of try to separate the two schools of thought here as far as analyzing what happened on the field and, and projecting what it means for the playoff race. What about what it means for Jim Harbaugh to lose 21 to 38 to Indiana? The Wolverines were road favorites. They had to have it. They just had to after, after a loss uh, to Michigan state, which is not a good team. Michigan state got blasted by Iowa on Saturday. So it's, uh, you know, Joe Milton, Week one feels like a long time ago. They can't run the ball at all, Chris. They had 13 yards rushing, and they yeah, got and carved up by Michael Penix Jr. I want to say it's not it's not Joe Milton's fault they're losing these games. The fact that Josh Gaddis seems to be, and Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh together, both continue to try to run the ball inside on first down when they are getting almost nothing every down just baffles the mind. And so does Don Brown continually playing press coverage when his corners Man. are not able to kind of play press coverage. And the lack of adjustments, especially from Don Brown, it's less so from the offense, which looks good at times. It's just, it baffles the mind. And I, I really wonder, like, how long Don Brown is for this Michigan world, uh, given the way this season has gone. Like he's, he's an excellent coordinator, and I, I realize we're on a clock. And I think he fits out really well at a Boston college where his scheme can kind of help make up for talent deficiencies. But at Michigan, his lack of kind of ability to adjust Game to game is just like it's costing Michigan time after time after time. Opponents know what to do, and Don Brown just doesn't seem to adjust. And Indiana was another example of that. I like how you reference his arbitrary uh, clock I put on us. The the Don Brown thing is really weird. A few years ago, I think, I mean, absolutely, he was in the mix to beat. He was considered one of college football's best coordinators. I forget which what game it was, but one of the Ohio State games when they just got burned, Crosser. I think, it was 20, I think it was 2018, that first year where we saw Ohio State like, just like put it on them. Yeah, it was like, oh, all right. But it's, I, I look, reading our Michigan site, there's there's some talk that Don Brown 
is on the hot seat, which is just crazy. You know, Jim Harbaugh would hate to have to do that. Well, because and, I, I, don't, I don't I don't think Jim Harbaugh I, like I'm under the impression that ever since Don Brown got to Ann Arbor and replacing DJ Durkin, like Jim Harbaugh just lets Don Brown do what he wants on that side of the ball. Like he there's he that's that's Don Brown's thing. Jim Harbaugh's loyal to a fault. And I think I think you've seen that over the years. He doesn't fire coaches often. Like he's had a couple offensive coordinators, but even he helps them find jobs for the most part, as I understand it. And I, I think it's really interesting. Bob Shoop's on that staff. So they have a pretty natural successor if they were to move on from Don Brown. But um, yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised if by season's end, if Michigan was forced to make a move and Jim Harbaugh off to stay, if Don Brown's kind of that sacrificial lamb, there are some real issues with that defense that are just not being fixed week after week. And you have to adjust to your personnel. And right now, I don't know if Don Brown's doing the best job doing that. Yeah, they, they rank around in the 40s in yards per play allowed on defense, which isn't horrible, but it's it's trending down. Um, okay, one more game. Hey, I'm going to let you be the host. Which game? One game more to talk about. I wonder what the, the listeners at home are, are wishing we discuss. You get to choose. Oh man, there's so many, there's so many things that happened this weekend. I know, and I, you're such like a you want to talk about everything. So I'm like, no, no, no. Like we we don't get to. But I what which game would you be most compelled to discuss? Let's 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 do a two for real quick. Okay. Let's move to I South Carolina and Tennessee and the SEC uh, East. And Fair I just want to I just want to I want to read off a stat about Rule Muschamp real quick before moving on. They lost to Texas A&M 48-3. We'll get to the Aggies in a minute. So the Gamecocks have 17 losses the last three years. Not good. Like, not at South Carolina. That's not acceptable. But what's worse is 12 of those have come by 14 points or more. So not only is Will Muschamp not winning, or not winning, he is getting blasted most of the time. Like, that is not good enough. And I think Will Muschamp might end up getting saved by season's end simply because of how expensive it will be to buy him out. I think he's got like a $12 million buyout. It's plus you have to 15 plus you have to fire the rest of his staff. You're talking another three. Then you have to hire a new staff. So you're talking 12 to 15 million in year one, just in salaries. And when you kind of put all that together, Will Muschamp might be saved, but South Carolina is a mess right now. And then I would say the same thing about Tennessee. They were up 13 to nothing at halftime against Arkansas, completely fell off the map and ended up losing, I believe, 24-13. They were shut out the rest of the way. That quarterback situation's a mess. Jim Chaney's offensive coordinator's a mess. And Jeremy Pruitt continually being conservative on offense is one of the big reasons this team is yet to take a step and i think we all assumed jeremy pruitt was kind of the next guy up and tennessee would be fixed pretty quickly but um there's a really good chance tennessee loses six of its last seven games this season after winning its final seven games last year so both of those sec east programs hoping to take a step have done exactly the opposite this year we all knew that it would be tough this year to make a move in the COVID era tennessee is not going to make a move South Carolina fans would like to. It's really difficult, though, to do that financially, as you just laid out. I think even more difficult, though, is being miserable for an entire offseason. <laughs> and the South Carolina fan base and this, and the Tennessee fan base, man, like if Tennessee wins one more game, like if they beat Vanderbilt and th- they finish three and seven and South Carolina finishes, I don't know, like I don't even I'm not sure what the la- landscape is there. But like if if, if they str- you know, limp, limp to the finish line too. Like, how do you sell that to recruits? How do you sell that to your fan base? How do you sell that to your ticket set, your ticket holders to get reengaged for 2021 when we get fans back in the stands in, a, in, in some more of a large capacity? That's just, that's just, I feel for those fans. Like that, the apathy will take over and apathy, 
apathy sucks. Apathy is worse than anger. Um, so it's, yeah. And if and if you're Tennessee, which has the tenth ranked recruiting class in the country right now, good luck I, holding on to a guy like Terrence Lewis if this just goes totally off the rails. Like they could lose their recruiting as well. Well, we'll see. It was a great weekend in college football. Uh, we're going to be talking about on our next college football daily episode on Tuesday the playoff race, which is really heating up. There are hypotheticals on every single conference and behind every single door and i can't wait to talk about that with you so uh thank you for everyone for listening though to today's episode that's chris hummer our producer is tiny levitt i'm trey scott see you on tuesday Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 